number two tonight, 1 Peter chapter number two, as we continue our study on uh, just some Bible Baptist distinctives, Baptist distinctives. We've looked at several of these and uh, probably review for a lot of you, but I, you know, I got to think about this afternoon. You might say, well, we don't really need to preach on these Baptist distinctives. We know what we believe, but the, the fact is most people do not. My guess is you could ask uh, the majority of preachers in uh, the, the area why it is they're a Baptist. I'm talking about Baptist preachers, why they're a Baptist. And they'd say, well, uh, because we believe in baptizing. But there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, and so uh, we try to deal with these things. We've dealt with the infallibility of the scriptures. We've dealt with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what that means. And then last week, we dealt with the autonomy of the local New Testament church. We're not beholden to any other organization. And uh, that is a Baptist distinctive. It always has been. That distinctive and the one that we're going to deal with tonight probably differentiate Baptists from Catholics and other Protestants more than any other of the Baptist distinctives. And uh, tonight we're going to deal with the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer. Now, obviously, last week dealing with the autonomy of the local church, that's something that the Roman Catholics are certainly not for uh, because they love that church hierarchy and papal authority. And that's what, caused, uh, the, uh, that's what caused the Reformation to begin with. But this doctrine that we're going to deal with tonight on the priesthood of the believer, it really, really separates us from Catholicism. Uh, because the, in, in the system of Catholicism, you still have uh, papal authority. You have the priest and the priestly system and confession to priests. And so this is really, really makes us distinctly Baptist. Now let's look and see what the Bible said here in uh, 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse number 9. The Bible said, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, God, that you touch, help, Lord, the service time tonight. God, I pray that you'd help us to preach that, that you helped, uh, helped us with studying earlier today. God, I pray that you'd put these distinctives in our heart. Lord, help us to realize they're not, a, they're not just a denomination, but God, they're Bible principles, Lord. And uh, help us, Lord, to do it justice tonight. And we'll thank you and praise you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. How to deal tonight with the priesthood of uh, the believer. Now, like I said, the Roman Catholics, they, uh, and, and, and indeed some Protestant denominations, uh, have priests that uh, still serve in some sort of a manner. And uh, really what it is, this is an important truth, religion is all about the authority of man. You allow religion to have its course and somebody, some man, ends up in charge of your life. That's just how it works out. And so religion is all about uh, an authority of a man, but salvation is all about freedom in Christ and being having a personal relationship. And I'm glad that I got a relationship that is not dependent upon another man. 
Now, of course, the first Old Testament priests, the priests are in your Bible, and the first Old Testament priests were the Levites. Aaron, Moses' brother, was the first high priest, and uh, they were set up uh, for specific duties in the tabernacle and then later on in the temple. And uh, what they would do basically is they were responsible for offering sacrifices, for prayers on behalf of the people, for leading the congregation in the singing of psalms, for maintaining and guarding the tabernacle, and for teaching the law. That's what all the uh, priests and the priestly order, the Levitical order, that is the kind of things they did. Basically what it was was this. It led to a separation of the common man from God. You see, if you were an Old Testament Jew, if you didn't belong to the tribe of Levi, you kind of had a conditional relationship with God uh, because the Levites and the priesthood had to go on your behalf and it kept you from being able to approach God, much less if you were a Gentile. If you were a Gentile, there was no hope for you to have any approach to God. Uh, and uh, you think about uh, in the tabernacle, there was the outer court. Uh, uh, any of the Jews could go there, but not any of the Gentiles. Then there was the inner court. That was for priests only, the most holy place. That was for priests only. And then after Solomon built his temple, it was a little more welcoming. They had a court of the Gentiles. They had several porches that any of the Jews could go to. But still on the inside were allowed only the priests. And, and here's what it was saying. It was saying that the way to approach God perfectly had not yet been made. And so there was this separation between man and God. And I'm glad this, this evening, thank God, that Jesus ended all of that at Calvary. And that's one of the reasons Jesus went to Calvary was to bring about this New Testament. See, Paul said that before a New Testament could be in effect, there had to be the death of the testator. I was thinking about it this way, and I don't know if Brother Allen, if he's got a last will and testament, but whatever he's written in that will and testament could be changed right up to the point of his death. And so for that will and testament to go into effect, Brother Allen would have to die. Well, it's the same way with the New Testament believer. You see, you and I could not be a part of this New Testament without the death of the testator. And that was the reason that Jesus had to go to Calvary. And I'm glad that Jesus left not only the Jew in his last will and testament, but thank God he included the Gentile as well. Now the Bible tells us there in Matthew chapter number 27 and verse number 51, and behold, this is when Jesus is dying and behold the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Now everybody knows this story how that the veil was torn as Jesus died at Calvary. I'm sure most of you know that that veil was several inches thick. As a matter of fact I was reading about it today and they said the great high priest would go into that most holy place on the great day of atonement and it took seven priests uh, just to move that veil out of the way uh, so he could go in behind it. Uh, that's how thick 
that veil was. Just the fact that it was torn at all is a miracle. But not it wasn't just torn some, but it was torn from the top to the bottom, signifying that God had made a new and better way for man to approach him. Now that's the deal you and me got in on. Hey, that ought to be enough to say, hallelujah. I'm glad I got in on a deal like that. And so the veil of the tent, the veil of the the veil of the temple was rent in white. Now let me tell you something else about that. I can under, I can imagine that when that earthquake hit and that veil was rent, that priest no doubt come running out and he said, "The veil, the veil has been rent." Oh, they couldn't imagine it. I mean, they couldn't imagine it. The veil has been rent. But you know, it did more than just show that uh, there had been access made to God. I tell you something else, it did. It showed and it exposed the fallacy of the priesthood. Now, I'm going to teach you something that you might not have ever known. That is that the Ark of the Covenant was lost during Ezra's time. It's never seen again in all the Old Testament. And so when the Herod's temple is built, and they built a most holy place there in Herod's temple, and uh, by, they put that big old fine veil up. And on the great day of atonement, the priest would go in there and he'd do a little dance and offer a sacrifice. But there's no ark in there. There's no mercy seat in there. Nobody knows where it was. It's gone. You know what they did? They took a big rock and they put it in that holy place and they consecrated it with prayer and all that. And they said, that is our mercy seat. So every year, them priests would go behind that veil and they'd apply that blood to a rock. I mean, it wasn't even the mercy, it wasn't even the ark, it wasn't even the mercy seat. You see, God, I tore that veil in two and rolled that thing back and exposed them for the frauds that they were. And now there is no need for a man to have a priest. Ain't you glad for that? I'm glad. Ain't you glad you ain't got to come tell me what all you done? You think you're glad about it? I'm really glad about it. Hey Amen. I don't want to know what all you've done. And you don't want to know what all I've done. I ain't going to put no backwards collar on and get no confessional phone booth. My friend, listen to what all the meanness you've been into. I tell it to the Lord. Amen. That's the kind of relationship that we get in the New Testament church. So uh, I told you there's four major duties of the priest. There's four major duties of the Old Testament priest. That is to offer sacrifices. And that is to offer prayers. And in the leading of worship, and in the teaching of the law. So I was, I was thinking about those four things real quick. And I'm going to show you how God made you a priest. How God made you a priest. Now let me give you these. Number one, they're offering a sacrifice. Can I first say that there is no need, no need anymore for a priest to offer a sacrifice? Now let me tell you why. The Bible said in Hebrews chapter number 10, verse number 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, what? Once for all. <laughs> I like that. You know what I like about that? The blood of Christ was both permanent, that's the word once, and it was prevalent, that's the word for all. And so there's no need. Now the, the number one obligation of the priest was to go and offer sacrifices. Now you say, well, that's a Jewish priest. What about... In Catholicism, they don't offer any sacrifices. Oh, but they do. Uh, they sacrifice, uh, they have all kinds of sacrifices and sacraments uh, that they offer. They, did you know that Roman Catholics, I don't, 
I don't mean to just harp on Catholicism, but I do want you to understand. You know, it's almost like, it's almost like secular uh, historians believe that, you know, there wasn't nothing but Catholics into the 1500s, and then there was the Reformation, and then there's, then there's Catholics and Baptists. But there's always been Bible believers. And in the 1500s, 1600s, my friend, they called us Bible believers heretics and put us at the stake, burned us at the stake. I'm telling you, when we were in Scotland there last year, we stood in places where Roman Catholics burnt Bible believers at the stake. You say, well, it's been a long time, y'all, to get over it. That's something like that's hard to get over. Uh, when, they burn, when they burn your brethren, when they, when they burn them and, and put together inquisitions to hunt them down, uh, my friend, worldwide, that's hard to ever get over, see. But uh, the, the Catholics, they still... You know, they worship pictures. They don't just worship Mary. You don't study into it. There's the veneration of holy objects, veneration of holy saints. There's objects. I want you to think about this. That belong, supposedly belong to saints from years gone by. I mean, you can go into some Catholic churches outside of America and you'll find their heads. Some of them saints' heads. They've kept the heads. I, you think I'm making that up? You look, up, you look it up on the internet. They've kept the heads. Can you imagine me a dying and them burying my body but keeping my old ugly head and putting it in a box and putting it, that box up there on the pulpit and every time you come to church, there's my old ugly decaying dead head. My friend looking out at you. You say, why well, the biggest, everybody says that's the biggest bunch of kooks ever lived up there at Concord Baptist Church. But I'm telling you, all over the world, they've got fingers, they've got hair, clippings of hair, like I said, a few places, whole heads of people, and they worship them. There's no other way to put it. They bow before them, they pray to them. It's called the veneration of holy saints or veneration of holy objects. And it almost sounds impossible to believe. It's so fanciful that it's almost impossible to believe that people do that. But it happens. It happens. And so the, the priest then on that, uh, when they have their uh, sacrament, they give their uh, Lord's Supper. They, of course, they believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation. That priest pronounces five Latin words over them little wafers and it becomes the literal body of Christ and that wine becomes the literal blood of Christ. None of that's in the Bible. And so there's no need for any of that. Why? Because Jesus went to Calvary. Jesus offered his blood. There's no need for any more sacraments or sacrifices to be offered in the name of Christ, because his blood was enough to save the entire world, thank God, from its sin, it was once for all. Hallelujah. So there's no need for sacrifices. Then the second thing that those priests would do is they'd offer prayers. They'd offer prayers. The Old Testament priest, uh, you think about it. In the Old Testament, you couldn't, you couldn't just pray. You had to go to the priest. The priest had done the praying. He was the intercessor between you and God. And that is a picture of Christ. But he had to do the offering of prayers. Now I want you to consider uh, what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 4. Not only did Jesus offer a permanent atonement forever making the way for the believer, but he also made a way for us to have access to God. Look what he said in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For he hath, where we hath not a high priest that cannot be touched the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help 
in the time of need. I'm glad that I don't have to go to a booth somewhere and ask somebody to pray for me. The Bible tells us 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse number 5, for there's one God and one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. Now notice, apparently Paul didn't believe Mary was the intercessor. He said Jesus was. Verse number 6, he said, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now I'm here to tell you, if you ever run into a Roman Catholic tells you they don't pray to Mary, they're lying to you. That's exactly what they, they pray to Mary. Mary is their intercessor. Oh, Mother of Mary. That's the reason they hold that rosary, rub that rosary, say those Hail Marys, speak to Mary. And uh, a lot of times they can't even speak to Mary directly. They're going to have to go to the priest, confess their sins, allow the priest to speak on their behalf. I'm glad I don't have to do any of that. <laughs> I don't, hey, I don't need no trinkets. Listen to me now. I don't need no rosaries. And I'm, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm fixing to preach on about 50 things right here. I don't, I don't need no patron saints. I see, some, I see law enforcement officers running around St. Michael on their uniform. What in the world's that about? Claim to be a Christian. Say they're a Baptist. Running around St. Michael on their uniform. Oh, St. Michael, St. Christopher, whoever it is. I guess Michael maybe is the patron saint of firemen and Christopher is the patron saint of uh, police. I can't remember, but whatever it is. Oh, wow, that's silly. Get you a rabbit's foot. That'd be a lot more, that'd be a lot more sensible. A rabbit's foot would be a lot more sensible than probably that little feller. He can't help you. He can't help you. Huh? But you see it all the time. And it's all this mystical hocus pocus, you know, and all this uh, superstitious stuff. I think it's a bunch of garbage, what I think. I say disbelieve the Bible and pray to God. Amen. I, now, hey, now I can bow my head and approach the throne room of grace, talk to God directly. I don't have to have anybody go on my behalf. So I don't need a priest. I don't need one. What would I, what would I need with one? Uh, I can pray by myself. I don't need no, I ain't nobody to pray on my behalf. I don't need no last rites. I was watching a, uh, I was watching a little old documentary on John F. Kennedy. And they talking about, you know, he got shot there in that motorcade yonder in uh, Dallas, Texas. Why, well, he's dead before they got pulled off good. And, uh, but they got him to the hospital, you know, and they rushing blood in there. I forget how many quarts of blood they took in there to him, trying to keep him legally alive until one of them Catholic priests could get in there and minister the last rites, give the last rites. And they said, whew, whew, that's a close one. Boy, Kennedy got the last rites. Now, he ain't been too good of a failure. He probably didn't get to go to heaven, but he went to purgatory. He'd have went to hell for sure if it hadn't been the last rites. But that fella, that priest, he slid in there right at the last minute, so snatched him up out of hell, put him in purgatory. Now we can pray him out of purgatory. And everybody all over the nation, all the Catholics, praying for John F. Kennedy. Get out of purgatory. Oh, get Kennedy out of purgatory. Giving money to the priest, giving money to the church. Boy, they said she gives so much money to the church, we can get him out. We believe God, we believe talk God out of purgatory, get him out of purgatory, and allow him, you know, the, the leader of Camelot, he can be right up there in heaven and right where you want him to be, and all them people giving money and wiping tears. I'm here to tell you, if he didn't know the Lord, it didn't matter how much praying he did, how many last rites they give him, don't matter what. Hey, died and went to hell, just like everybody else that dies without Jesus. I'm just simply saying this listen, that's a bunch of nonsense. You don't have to have none of that. I pray to myself. I pray myself. Amen. Ain't that good? Aren't you glad you don't have to depend on somebody else to offer prayers for you? Then watch this. Them priests were also 
responsible for leading of worship. It was the priest that would lead them Jews and them Psalms. And the priest decided when and how worship was going to happen. But let me show you something what the Bible said. The Bible said in Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 18, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, I tell you something's real good. If I want to have me a spell, run a lap, holler hallelujah, and sling snot and cry, worship God, stand up, testify, I don't have to wait for no man to tell me it's time to do it. And sometimes I'm afraid we have Baptist popes. You know, can't nothing happen until you know, somebody gives a certain look or something. I'm here to tell you, if it hits you just right, stand up and worship the Lord. It'll be all right. If you feel like worshiping God, you ain't got to hear from me. I ain't got to say it's time to go. I ain't got to say, hey, anybody got a word on your heart? If you feel like you ought to worship God, then hit the floor and worship God. That is one of the, that is one of the privileges of being a, a, a priesthood of the believer is you can lead yourself in worship. This, this day and hour, all these churches have worship leaders. You got to have a worship leader. <laughs> I saw one time this old fella come into this church. He was dressed up on these big old hats with a big old feather on it. And he had on, he had on a, a, a nice uniform with all these ribbons hanging from it. And he said, Oh, he said, I thought you said you wanted a worship leader. <laughs> <laughs> some of you got it some of you ain't going somebody, somebody explain, the rest, explain that to them other people a worship leader we have to have a worship leader and you know get up get everybody going now you know and if we really get it really gets going good we get a tambourine out oh now Come on, everybody, get up. Everybody put your hands together. <laughs> Welcome to the stage. A bishop, so and so. Try to, you know, maybe we need one, bless goodness. Maybe we need one. Might help us out. Might help us out to have one. <laughs> Y'all see it on Facebook next week. Concord Baptist Church is hiring a worship leader. Yeah, try to encourage you, get everybody. Hey, you ought not have to have somebody prime your pump. <laughs> you're saved. You ought, you ought, your, your pump ought to be primed when you walk in. The, hey, when you walk in the building, your pump ought to be primed, ready to go to meeting. Amen. So I can make up my mind when I want to. So that's the third thing. Then number four, and I, I'll be done right here. The teacher of the law. That's the fourth thing that the priest did. So it's the priest in, in the Old Testament times that taught the law. And then the Roman Catholics, of course, they tried to keep the Bible in Latin, which was a, a language nobody could read. And the reason they wanted their Bible to be in Latin is because it was a language nobody could read. If you didn't know what the Bible said, and you couldn't read it, and I could read it, then how much power does that give me over everybody in here? I stand up and say, well, the Bible said this. The Bible said that. You just have to buy it. You just have to believe it. But we don't have to depend upon another man. Let me show you something. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse number 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, 
neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. John 14, 26, the Bible said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring, uh, bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. And so it is that I have a tutor, and he just happens to be the one that wrote the book. And that is the Holy Ghost Spirit of God. Now i got a library full of thousands of volumes of books I love to read. I've got hundreds of thousands of volumes digitally on my iPad and my computer. I love to read. But I don't have to have any of that to figure out what God's saying. Now those men add a lot of flavor to things. And I thank God for men that already studied some stuff. But I don't have to have, I do not have to have none of that to know what the Bible said. Because the, the, the author lives in me. And, those, and, the, and I'm telling you, the majority of people that struggle to understand the Bible, it's because they never have been saved. That's the majority of it. That's the problem with the majority of it. It's not because it's written in a way that they couldn't understand it. It wasn't that they, um, you know, none of that. It's because it's spiritually certain. Running right my office, Gabe, on, my, on a chair in my office is what I got for Christmas. Bring it in here. I'll show everybody right at the end of this message. It's because it is spiritually Discern. Now, I showed some of y'all this uh, before the service started, but others hadn't, uh, didn't get to see it. And so I wanted to show it to you. And, you know, Gabe's slow. In here, dummy. I'll show you this. Got this for Christmas. I'm going to put it on the wall back yonder so everybody can enjoy it. But this right here, see that? That's an original, it's an original page out of a 1611 King James Bible, first edition. That piece of paper right there is older than the Declaration of Independence. You believe that? 400, what would that be from 1611 to right now? Some of you math whizzes, that's 400 and something. 413 years old, 413 years old. Believe that. You know what? Just the same words in it, mine does. <laughs> I ain't got no problem understanding it. Oh, the typeset's a little different. It's in Old English. You know, I ain't got no, I, I'm going to read it and understand it. I ain't got no problem understanding it. Huh? People say, well, I just can't understand the Bible. Well, you ought to know the author. The author will help you understand it every single time. So, let me end this right here. Let me end this right here. You say, what then about a pastor? We don't need a priest. We're priests all by ourselves. What about you, preacher? What are you? Now, I'm going to make a statement right here. I want you to hear me. No man. No, I repeat, no man has any special access to God because of his position or calling. No man. Now, you hear something. I have, no more, I have no more access to God than you do. You got the same access I've got. I've been washed the same blood. I live in the same flesh you do. I, I'm no more special than you are in that account. But now, there is a verse of Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter number 5, verse number 17. The Bible says, let the elders that rule well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially they labor in the word and in doctrine. I believe there is a, a Bible principle that teaches us that God endows certain men with discernment that other men don't have, particularly in spiritual issues. And I believe this, I believe this verse teaches that if a man has served God faithfully in laboring in the word and doctrine, that his opinion ought to count double for what anybody else's opinion is. 
in your life. And I believe that. I believe when you hear from your preacher, and that just happens to me, me, but there ain't nobody else to preach it but me, so here we go. Uh, I believe when you hear from your preacher that that ought to count double for what anybody else says, uh, according to the scriptures. But, but, that does not make me infallible. It doesn't make me always right. I know it may shock you, but I've been wrong. You know, it don't happen a lot, but sure, I have. I've been wrong, but I'm not infallible. I don't hold myself up as no baby pope, no Holy Ghost junior. I, I don't know any more about things than you do, but sometimes God uses the man he calls in places in your life to have discernment about things that you living in the middle of it can't see. And uh, for that reason, you know, when I give you advice, particularly if it's something scriptural, we're talking about something spiritual, you ought to take, you ought not only take it to heart, but it ought to count double for what you hear from anybody else, according to scripture. But that does not make me a priest. You're a priest. You're a priest. You're a priest. Everybody in here. And that's a, that's a Baptist Bible distinctive, is that we believe in the priesthood of the believer. It's not, it's not very well... Uh, that's not the majority. The majority of the world doesn't believe that. They don't believe that. Every religion. You even get, now all I've talked about is other so-called Christian religions. But if you even get outside of Christian religions, you think about the Buddhists, they have priests. You think about just about any, any religion you want to talk about, they've got imams or they've got rabbis or they've got priests. They've got somebody. They've got somebody that stands in that position. We have pastors. That's what we have in the local New Testament church, pastors and evangelists. We'll deal with that maybe before it's over. But uh, we've got pastors. And while the pastor stands as the under-shepherd, watches over the flock of God, tries to give good advice, and tries to study and pray, that doesn't mean he's, he's, the, he's the ramrod, the dictator, the, the, the big cheese, anything better than anybody else. Uh, I'm just like you. I'm just prone to messing up you all. Uh, me and Gabe was under the uh, under the house the other night, and uh, the, the the pressure tank had gotten low on air. We got under there, and I said, "All right." I said, "Let's check it." We checked it; it had three pounds in it, three pounds. And uh, I said, uh, "Well, it's supposed to have twenty-eight pounds, thirty fifty pressure switch." So I drained all the water off of it, got more pressure out, pumped it up the whole time. Gabe's saying, it ain't going to blow up, is it? It ain't going to blow up, is it? I said, no, it won't blow up. We should ride under there with it, though, you know, in a crawl space. It ain't going to blow up, is it? it ain't going to blow up, is it? I said, no, it won't blow up. I finally got it where I wanted to get it. I said to Gabe, I said, plug that back in. When he plugged it back in, it arced a little bit, and I thought it might have blowed a breaker or throw a breaker. And um, so uh, I didn't see where the pump had come on. And I told Gabe, I said, watch out just a second, and I'll see about that. He's trying to scoot over, and there's, the pipe comes up out of the ground and into the side of the, into the, side of the pressure tank, you know, on the tee there. And I cl climbed over that pipe, and when I did, I felt a squirt of water hit me in the face. And I thought, uh-oh. And I looked, and that pipe was coming off of that, that thing. Well, I grabbed it, and I shoved it back up on there. And I looked at Gabe, and I said, Gabe, that was close. That could have been terror. And I got about terror out, and that thing went, Pshush! water all over us. 
Gabe thought the tank had exploded, so he was going, ah, ah, ah. I spoke in 15 tongues. Ain't no telling what all I said. It may have not been something that the pastor ought to be saying at all. I don't know. Scared me and him both to death. We was both drowned, standing in a mud hole. Now, what would you do? Come on now. See, we're all in the flesh. We all mess things up. We all act in ways we hadn't ought to act. I'm just like you. I'm just like you. That's the reason I'm glad I've got an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous. The go-between. Ain't that right, Gabe? Yeah, I asked Gabe after it was over. I said, what did I say, Gabe? He said, I don't know. I was screaming too loud. <laughs> Oh, boy. Priesthood of the believer. Are you glad? Thankful to be a part of such a great thing as that? Boy, I am too. Let's stand our feet. Father, we thank you, Lord, for goodness, grace, and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your saving us, washing us, making us a part of the priesthood of believers. God, I just pray, Lord, that you'd help us to live up to the vocation wherewith we've been called. Lord, we're all going to mess up, every single one of us. Help us not to be messing up more today than we did yesterday, though. Help us to live closer and walk closer to you. Do that now as only you can. We'll thank you and praise you for all that's accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen.